everybody, and welcome to episode number three of Stride and Saunter. I am one of your hosts, Kip Clark. And my name is Hector Marrero. Welcome. Kip, you know, one thing that I see a lot, I read a few scripts for some film classes that I take, screenwriter and whatnot, and one thing I notice, it's, it's a common theme through a lot of these scripts that are free and online, it's that there is a phone call to the protagonist or to some character, mm-hmm. but the phone call always goes to a landline. And, and, you know, you'll hear something like a voicemail, for example. You know, somebody will write, oh, a voicemail rings out and you can hear this voicemail. But I don't know about you, but I think landlines are more or less going extinct because everybody has a phone in their pocket. Definitely. And now cell phones have existed for a long time. I know I've had a cell phone since around seventh grade. That's when I first started going to uh, after school program. I had to go to another like a high school and you know do this program. And that's when I first got my uh, first cell phone. And it was this little you know chippy choppy phone from Singular. It had this like worm game where you had to like you know you can like complete a picture and you need to like fill out ninety percent of the picture to win the level. But um, these days, it seems that everybody has, well, not everybody, but at least here in Ohio and in my experience in New York, a ton of people have an iPhone in their pocket, myself included. As am I, yeah. And so to our listeners out there, yeah, today we're going to be talking about the iPhone and, and some of its effects and the newest iterations. Yeah, I mean, the iPhone on its own, it's a pretty, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about the iPhone. He said if he could bring any piece of technology out with him to space, it would be the iPhone because here we have, so if I pull this iPhone out of my pocket, you know, I have it, This is I've had it for three years, but this is a computer. This is a very, very powerful computer, more powerful than the computers in the White House in the 1970s or so I read on the internet. I can take, my favorite thing about my iPhone is the camera function. I, when I first got it, I was really hesitant to have an iPhone because I don't know if I didn't want to be a part of the crowd or if I was, you know, really, I just wanted to kind of like, you know, rough it. I wanted a plain old cell phone. I just wanted to call people and that was it. But, you know, deep inside, I did want an iPhone because it has all these perks. You get all these applications, you get all these features and the camera happened to be my favorite. I've been taking pictures with this camera. I've taken maybe 15,000 photographs total with my iPhone. And that's been my favorite thing. But, you know, this is an iPhone 4, but, you know, in the past, let's see, three years since I've had this phone, you know, there's been a ton of new models coming out, reconfigurations. And one thing I think about is, well, where exactly does all the material, you know, to make these uh, iPhones go? But also, you know, why is it that we can't update these phones? Why is it that we can't open them up and reconfigure whatever hardware is inside and just, you know, keep the same phone for a few years? We have to constantly replace it. That being said, they are very attractive pieces of technology. They're very sleek. They're very good looking. And I think a part of the, you know, the role of Steve Jobs and Apple was he wanted to combine aesthetics with technology and he wanted to make a piece of technology that was easily accessible and I think he succeeded honestly I think this is uh, it's a pretty phenomenal thing definitely yeah he one of his most brilliant accomplishments in my opinion was giving 
giving the users of the iPhone numerous simple building blocks, you know, with which any individual could make a simple structure, a simple, you know, metaphorically could do very simple things, you know, text a friend or whatever. But therein lies a number of, of functions that you can access when you start combining the simple features of the phone, the things that you can do with the microphone combined with, you know, the the cameras on either side. And there are a lot of simple pieces that come together really elegantly, yeah, in a very fluid manner. I think that's part of the brilliance of the iPhone as it has existed now for I think we're going on eight years, uh, 2006, 2007 was around the time the iPhone was first announced. Yeah, that's crazy. 14, I was 14 or 15 when that first happened. And it, it feels like it's existed for so for so long, but also not that long. It feels like the whole, the whole phenomenon of these smartphones is so new to me. In fact, I sometimes go back to thinking about high school. And there was this one time where it was this talent show. And I, being a dengus, I, I, I went up and I really wanted to sing um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. But I had never practiced this song. It was just really out of the blue. I just wanted to sing it. And it was awful. It was absolutely crap. But reflecting back on it, I think to myself how grateful I am that one, people probably don't remember that. I mean, maybe somebody does, but I don't really care. But two, nobody had an iPhone at that point, or very few people had iPhones. And in the very least, they didn't have all these applications like Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, or, you know, instant transfer photos to Facebook to say, look how crap <laughs> this guy is singing whereas nowadays you know this little tool is used you know people will instagram for example bad situations Th these phones are now being used for example on twitter or instagram to document real life events in basically real time but anyway going off of that the reason we're doing this podcast today is because i think two or three days ago yep Apple announced the new iPhone 6. And I think we're already reaching this point where there's so many of these iPhones that I'm sure there's a part of the population that's already jaded to it and already criticizing it and saying, ah, I don't want this uh, new piece of technology, but I don't think that's going to stop people from buying it en masse. And I think that shows in how many Apple stores there are. But Kip, I think you're interested in buying one of these phones. Could you tell us a little bit about what makes this phone different from the other ones and why is it that you would want this piece of technology in your pocket? Definitely. I will say, so our listeners out there are not confused or don't get the wrong impression, that this is not an advertisement for Apple. It will be a critique of sorts, but in order to do that, I do think it's important that we provide the information that we know about the latest iteration. So on September 9th, Apple had a keynote and announced the, the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus, two different models with two different screen sizes. They are some pretty big jumps. The iPhone 5 that I have in my pocket is a four inch display and the iPhone 6, 4.7 inches and the iPhone 6 Plus, 5.5 inches to appeal to a market of users that wants bigger phones, these phablets with huge screens. And frankly, in my opinion, too large. Tablets, um, you said? Oh, so phone tablet. Yeah, it's okay, a combination okay. of phone and tablet. And I, I, I can understand wanting more screen real estate, but I'm not watching movies on my phone. I get that there are people out there who do that, but I think at the end of the day, don't make the small screens larger. Find a larger screen and, and watch a movie there. I, you know. You know, that's funny that you're mentioning that because somebody just the other day was talking about how when televisions, I think it was uh, Richheimer, um, in our philosophy of perception and film class, he was speaking how when televisions first came out, there were a lot of skeptical people who were saying nobody is going to look at this small box 
this little light box and this screen. But of course, you know, that turned out to not be true and the television became a hit. And you know, there, there are people who speak on, specifically, you mentioned watching movies on iPhones. David Lynch has a interview where he talks about how upset he is that people watch um, films on an iPhone because there is so much detail and depth that you can't see on a small screen and also you can't get the same experience of being in a movie theater with a lot of other people in a dark room with the screen directly in front of you. It's a more mobile platform. You literally have it in your hand. You can move it closer and away from your face. You can pause it at any time and you can watch it anywhere. And so all these other you know, stimuli are available for, you know, at the same time. And yet people do it. People watch Netflix on their phones. People watch films on their phones. And it's interesting. It's interesting to see how things do change and how perhaps our generation is going to start feeling the repercussions of the digital age. Maybe this is a microcosm of that, you know, whereas we'll start saying, oh, well, my day like that. This is starting to become our moment. I mean, right. maybe maybe it's just it's not the case, but. You know. So yeah, there's there's the bigger screens, of course, and this has happened throughout iPhone iterations. This newest, you know, or these newest two models are thinner. They are technically smaller, but their screens are larger. They weigh less somehow than older models, which to me is nice, but it's not, you know, the most fundamental thing. They are well made. They look very, very nice. I can't deny that their aesthetic is is well designed. But then you get into the features, and they're very similar. They have slightly longer battery lives, as though, you know... They, they couldn't have worked on that technology more. Their screens have better resolutions, but at this point they're getting larger than something someone would normally hold in one hand. Reviewers who have gone out and tested the 5.5 the inch 6 plus hands-on have said you got to use two hands for this thing. And at that point, I wonder, you know, you can't really call it a phone, which to me gets to one of its most important functions in my life. I personally, as a dying breed, enjoy phone calls a lot. They don't talk at all about phone calls at these conferences because despite its name, the iPhone is probably not really used for phone calls anymore. It's a, it's a rare thing to do. I personally really enjoy phone calls, but they don't uh, you know, work on those features in, in you know, the newest iterations of phones because people care about texting and other similar features, you know, browsing the web, which is certainly you know, a plus and it's something I do, but I I love phone calls on my phone and the the bands that they've added to make wireless signal stronger and to increase download speeds affect other things like downloading movies for you know for your viewing pleasure or or texting uh, you know sending pictures at, at faster speeds um, one really cool feature that I actually really enjoyed and have actually wanted for a long time in the iMessaging app which for non iPhone users is just texting between iPhones you are now capable of sending your location via the Maps app to someone that you're texting so they know exactly where you are, which could be, freaky. could be a bit, bit Orwellian. Um, but but I personally have, have been lost before and wanted to tell someone exactly where I was in relation to them. Um, but yeah, there, there are certainly more and more features that seem to take us a little bit out of reality and, and more into the phone. And I've always wondered, at the end of the day, is this phone something that's supposed to add to your life or or create a new realm within your life that it's going to start gobbling up more and more of your time. And it's concerning. And, and you could point to me and say, well, you're going to buy the next iteration, which is true. You know, it's, it's just, it's fascinating. But one very key feature or set of features that I should touch upon are the health apps that Apple is releasing. They're proprietary to monitor heart rate, you know, steps walked, other things that other iPhones have done. But now they're Apple's uh, specific apps to help you monitor your health. 
And one friend of mine made a really good point that, you know, if you want to be healthy, there are tried and true things to, to being healthy. You know, drink lots of water, eat all your fruits and vegetables, you know, get lots of sleep, get exercise. You don't need technology to tell you these things. And it's very interesting that people identify certain products with being able to just grant fitness. It's just, it's very interesting. I wonder about that myself. You know, nowadays I think we have more obese people, more obese to morbidly obese, or just really fat people in America especially. You know, fast food, for example, is very cheap. A lot of people eat fast food, especially if a family makes less money. You can't really afford foods that are of um, higher price. And so, but you know, you can manage to afford a iPhone. And so this iPhone, you know, I like the way you say it. it's almost as if it's kind of like a magic trick or a golden ticket where you buy an iPhone, you're also buying your fitness. Which brings me to this idea of, you know, what is it that you're buying into when you buy an iPhone? You know, here you have this, you know, awesome package. It's your and by awesome, I mean you have this package which is very aesthetically pleasing. It's very easy to use. It has all these features mm -hmm. added on. It's relatively, for what it is, being a computer, it's relatively inexpensive. I guess it depends on what model you're getting and how much memory there is and like what service you're getting on top of that. But I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, for a, you know, the smallest package, it's more or less not too expensive. So what is it that you're buying into when you buy an iPhone? So, you know, there is this whole realm that I think people who buy iPhones, the majority of people who buy iPhones are not aware of, and even if they are aware of it, and this includes me, they're not aware of the full scale of this situation. The situation being who the heck is it that's creating these iPhones? Like, where are these materials? Because, you know, I I've read that, you know, an iPhone or any phone, for example, uses some rare earth materials. You have a little bit of gold, probably platinum, uh, to do, you know, to do functions that I'm not really sure what, like, you know, they do in the phone. But there's all this, you know, technology, all these things that are, are such a part of this technology, but so many of the consumers don't understand. And then it comes to, you know, who the heck it is it? putting these things together in these mass rates. iPhones are something that only people with money can afford. Only the top 15% of, I think, the world's population can afford an iPhone, which is interesting. I think you mentioned at some point how in some countries, you know, an iPhone will actually be used as currency. Absolutely. Um, and people will, you know, mug you for your iPhone, which, you know, makes sense. Um, I don't know. Would you like to speak on that a little bit more or just this whole idea of how it, buying an iPhone really does reinforce this dichotomy? Is that the word of, you know, class structure. Only some people can afford this kind of phone and only a smaller percentage can afford a new one of this phone, the top, you know, of its class. Yeah, it's it's definitely a status symbol. Uh, you know, people see it. They are iconic. Apple has done a very good job of making, even now that they have two models and there are technically other models of iPhones still being sold, that every model looks the same. People can put cases on it, sure, but you can always identify an iPhone, you know, in the sea of people out there, and that's that's Apple's marketing. They they know exactly what they're doing. All of their products have a very clean look to them. Um, as I said before, I I will praise their design aesthetic, but yeah, it's it's very obvious when someone's using an iPhone. And regarding the uh, the financial thing, there's some new features on the newest iPhone. My old five does not have a fingerprint scanner to unlock it, but starting with the 5S, uh, the most recent, or I guess now it's it's slightly outdated, the 5S had a fingerprint scanner to unlock it uh, without a passcode, and you could use that in the iTunes store, and the latest models, the 6 and the 6 Plus, 
also contain that fingerprint functionality and because of some other features on the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, you can put your credit card information in and use your iPhone as a wireless wallet because of course you can only unlock it with your fingerprint and therefore you know your credit card information or whatever is stored on there and you can swipe it at certain uh, carriers and other vendors that have uh, agreed to participate in this because Apple reached out to them and said hey would you support this and you can use your phone as a wireless wallet which is a bit problematic there was a recent leak on the iCloud Apple's network server of celebrities who had nude pictures that were leaked to the public because someone hacked uh, the iCloud and and released those photos. So it's one thing that's that's concerned me a bit. I don't know that I would ever put my debit or credit card information on a phone. You know, forget someone stealing my phone. I don't think they'd be able to use my phone very easily as a as a credit card or a debit card. But if someone hacked into the iCloud with all this debit card and credit card information, that's that's disastrous. So. It is interesting what kind of privacy people are willing to sacrifice for functionality and ease of use. What do you think about that? Well, I, I wanted to go back to this point that you made about the status, like the icon status of Apple. How is it that they, you know, reached that point? Obviously, you know, they, they got really good marketing. I think it was in 2001 that the iMac um, first came out. And I think the iMac was um, Apple, it, it was Steve Jobs and Apple kind of putting their foot back into the PC world and saying this is our new product and this is where we're going to go for and it was this you know big thing and then out of that came the iPod and all these other you know little pieces of technology but i wanted to talk about how in places like new york for example you know i'm from new york and on the subway just about every single person has an iphone you know in this space gray silver or gold color. How is it, I, I wonder, that people are, as a mass, so willing to give in to this, you know, piece of technology, this kind of new cultural, I don't know, beast. They go into this product. Would you call it a symbol? Yeah, I would call it a symbol. And I think beyond it being a phone, beyond it being a computer, beyond it having all these applications, they reach into things that, you know, people want. It's like a streamlining. People want simplicity. So they want to streamline things. So they put in, you know, credit card information. You could imagine these things as almost kind of like cords that tie into the iPhone, the iPhone being this body, and then these other things being cords that you can actually sew into this body. And so if we have credit card information, fitness diary type applications where you put in your stats for how much you've run every day or how much you've exercised every day, all your notes, all your photographs. There are, you know, societies of people, for example, in New York, that en masse are just giving most of their information over to this company. And what I, you know, what has Apple done? You know, this this, this is a company here. What have they done to deserve this information other than, you know, just existing and just using a very, you know, successful marketing strategy? Right. And it's it's not inconceivable to think that if someone were to get a hold of every part of someone's information you see you know photos of their kids you see where they're spending money with this credit card or whatever information and you see like yeah say how much they're running or whatever you're getting like the skeleton of someone's life you can very much figure out who they are based on a lot of that stuff if you get access to their text messages you've got their personality you know who this person is and that's it's a very concerning thing to think that this company that has really money behind its stores and the desire to get more money because it's a company and they have every right to do that, 
that they have all that information, that it's not just numbers and data, that, you know, a lot of it is personal. Uh, the things that we share, the things that we express, be it digitally or otherwise, it's very interesting. And I think what what's also interesting about it is that this is the first time in history where, you know, these phones or th- this piece of technology has been introduced into our lives. And again, I bring back this subject of, you know, having just a regular phone when I was 12, 13 years old, because this technology is moving so quickly. And so I guess something that somebody can see as scary about this kind of technology is that they're moving so quickly and tying into all these realms of our lives that are so dear to us. For example, all this personal information from text message, from um, pictures, all our you know credit cards. I love that you say it's, it makes a skeleton of our life because it's true. It does show kind of this like echo of who we are. But these phones, I suspect, are only going to become smaller and smaller. And, you know, I read sometimes about how there is a goal to one day, you know, integrate this technology into our bodies, into, you know, becoming, you know, one with the machine, which some people call singularity. Some people call post-humanism. There are all these other ways of describing it. And I think each one of, you know, each of those words actually has like a whole definition and a whole, you know, history to it. But it's interesting how quickly we are heading towards that direction. And yet I think human minds, at least in my experience, haven't really evolved to understand that. And it's becoming this thing where we are too willing to uh, part with our information, which should be valuable to us and should be precious to us, and hand them over to a company and say, experiment, you know, for the sake of humanity. Apple is an icon. Apple is a symbol. And Apple is for the most part, you know, with its combination of how much it's talked about, how many advertisings they have, and like, you know, how many products there are out there belonging to Apple, at least in America, they are a force to be reckoned with. It's hard to compete with them, you know, especially if you're a smaller company, but even bigger companies have trouble competing with these guys. I mean, they were the ones who created the smartphone. You know, they use technology from, you know, Palm Pilots and other, uh, you know, more experimental type of cell phones or communication devices and put them together into one package. They were the first. Yeah, I mean, one thing that occurs to me just now when you when you mention technology that they've taken and sort of synthesized into one device is that the iPhone has, if I'm counting correctly, four buttons. It has the home button, the power button, and the, the, <laughs> the, the two volume buttons. I mean, I guess you can count the, uh, the vibration and, uh, you know, sound as a button, although it's it's more of a clicker between. But there's no keyboard on the iPhone. You know, it's it's, it's entirely touchscreen. It's entirely touch enabled and uh, maneuvered or manipulated through touch. And it's very interesting to me that I, I hadn't really considered that, which actually leads me to ask, because I'm thinking about this as we consider the iPhone, you know, in our conversation, that transition. I think we both had cell phones before getting the iPhone. And I want to know, starting with you, what that transition was like the day you opened the iPhone after having a cell phone previously what kind of feelings did you have was it unfamiliar was it weird yeah I think I actually I I might have touched on it a little bit but it was after I told my like I told my dad a million times I was like I don't want an iPhone I want to keep my phone until it's dead I had this whole idea of like you know I don't want to be a part of this uh, (laughs) quote-unquote system Um, and so I really didn't want an iPhone but again like deep inside me I was thinking to myself that's a pretty sweet 
device and I think it could be pretty cool to have one. It was Christmas of 2011, it was almost 2012, and I was sitting on my couch and my brother was sitting nearby me and I think we both uh, got an iPhone and we both opened up, up at the same time. The first thing I downloaded was this weird little program that compressed all the data that went into my phone so that I could go on the, so I only had two gigabytes per month as part of the service plan with Singular or whatever. So thinking about that first and thinking about, you know, I'll probably be using the internet on this thing a lot, I downloaded this program so that it would compress um, the data that would be input into my phone and that I would be able to browse the internet more and use other applications more, even though it turns out that two gigabytes was like more than enough. But I think one thing that changed with me is, you know, here was this computer and this, you know, multi... Uh, faceted device that was so small that I can now, you know, take it to bed with me. Um, I think that's the biggest difference. I think that's one of the bigger changes that the iPhone has created for me is that I take it to bed with me. Um, in the very least, you know, it's a alarm clock, but on top of that, you know, it, it serves as, you know, kind of a distraction device, you know, you, you have this phone with you all the time. People don't escape, expect you to escape it. You, they kind of expect you to always be with it, you know, to always pick up your calls and to now you have email on there too. So you have to be responsible for all these things. So you have this, you know, information outputter and inputter just constantly, you know, shaking and vibrating with all these uh, notifications, as they call them. Right, yeah, I mean, the stimuli are, are crazy and nonstop, frankly. But yeah, you talk about sort of the, the constant accessibility, not even of yourself, but of other people to you through this device. I remember uh, a while ago, I had an employer who, of course, had my cell phone number, um, and I was off the clock. I'd, I'd done everything fine that day. And then I think on my day off, uh, he contacted me for some support. I needed to come in or, or at least advise him on some things. And I agreed to because, you know, I was working for him. But part of me was really frustrated after the fact that he had such an easy back door into my life that, you know, I, if, if the phone was turned off, he'd call again. He would text. He would make sure that he got through to me because he expected that I'd be at my phone, which you know, I guess I've given him every reason to believe, but it's it's unfortunate that we've we've compromised our own privacy because in this day and age, at least from where I stand, it's abnormal if you don't respond to a text within an hour or two. Mm -hmm. Granted, people might be like, you know, they'll understand if you are busy with something else, but yeah, it's, it's abnormal. And that's sad because we, you know, our species has lived in societies where letters took months to get back and forth. Yeah. And now a text message, which can be about as long, needs to be responded to instantaneously. Or it could be stressful. I, I find it could be so stressful to not only, you know, to have this, you know, other person, you know, in your bathroom, like, you know, next to you in the toilet, like when you're playing, you know, what is some application, but also sending out a text and wanting a reply and waiting for that reply um, and not getting it. Um, it becomes, I think it's an interesting point that you bring up, you know, stimuli. Um, we do have this like constant stimuli, you know, from these phones now, this um, vibration. And I, I remember hearing, I can't remember where, it was probably some TED talk or something, um, where somebody mentioned how he could imagine a society or he can imagine our society continuing to go on this trajectory where we become a awards-based system society. So he kind of used this anal analogy of like, you know, video games, how there are achievements that you could get, especially in newer video games. There are these little achievements that you can receive for getting 100 gold coins or for beating a level in under a short period of time. And basically he talks about 
about how a system like that can actually be incorporated by large companies, for example, uh, Pepsi or something, by saying, hey, look at this, you know, somebody can give you a notification and you click on an advertisement for Coca-Cola and then after you watch this 30 second advertisement, you get some, you know, credit towards buying more Coca-Cola or something. And it, he keeps going on into, you know, this point based system would, you know, infiltrate every aspect of our lives, including our dreams, where he describes in this hypothetical situation where we would dream and uh, <laughs> companies would actually put advertisements to target our minds. And if we woke up and remembered what companies targeted us, we would get, you know, points, which, you know, it, it's such a nonchalant thing when he's talking about it. But for me, it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. But also, at the same time, not that hard to imagine, especially with, again, how um, easily we allow so much information to go on this phone. And I don't know about you, Kip, but I I got really paranoid. Last year, there was this whole thing. Um, yeah, it started around last year, I think early, maybe in March. The whole Edward Snowden thing. He was this contractor working for the NSA, which is the National Security Agency, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. um, and what he revealed was what a lot of people who, before Edward Snowden, were considered you know conspiracy theorists. I do that with air quotes. Um, who basically said, you know, the government and, and companies that fund the government or lobby and, you know, uh, pay our Senate members, you know, X amounts of money to vote for laws, you know, to support them are basically going in and peeking into our information as a country and not just that but even more you know the information going out throughout the world in order to manipulate and control um, the masses. And, you know, at this point, you know, still it's I think there is almost a 50 50 divide of people who say, oh, yeah, that's worth talking about. And other people who think to themselves, no, you know, we should be safe. And, you know, the, you know, people from America saying we should be safe and we should, you know, have all this information. And, you know, spying has existed for forever. And obviously it's a very nuanced discussion. But. It's clear that the iPhone does have a role in this. There is talk about how the software that you get with the package, in the package, is built with automatic backdoors to allow the National Security Agency or other, you know, quote-unquote security agencies to peek into our data without our, us, our knowing and to in a way, use that data to, uh, you know, for them, it's fighting terrorism, quote unquote, but it's basically to make the connections between people to get these, you know, skeletons and, you know, find how these skeletons of our lives work together and, you know, put some, I don't know, add some flesh to the image as well, um, if that makes any sense as an analogy. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's definitely a concern. Um, uh, with your permission, actually, I'd like to talk about sort of my experience with the iPhone yeah, in please, particular, please. and I guess how I, I came to own one. So, yeah, uh, when I was in my junior year of high school, uh, which seems like forever ago, I uh, I remember there were friends of mine who had iPhones, of course, started on, I believe, AT&T was the first carrier, I'm not entirely sure, but or at least that it wasn't yet on Verizon, my service provider. And I had an old uh, Envy cell phone, a flip phone, um, and I remember I probably had at maximum 20 or so contacts. Uh, of course, my parents, some close friends. And I did some texting, but not a lot. And then I remember when the iPhone was announced for Verizon, I thought, you know, here's a chance to consolidate. 
my iPod, my MP3 player at the time, and my cell phone into one device. It'd be easier. I can carry one device. Not have two things in two pockets. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's that's part of what they appeal to people with, is that it can be not only two things, but a rough estimate, I would say, is like 80 things. You can time things with your iPhone. You can browse the web. Possibilities are endless, but I, I wanted to have, you know, my music on my phone. I felt it would just be easier to have one device. So I remember I got the phone. Um and began using it for that. And of course, my texting became more frequent in my life. Uh, the contacts, you know, ballooned. I think I now have something over 300 contacts, which, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, is, is ridiculous. I, you know, I don't talk to all 300 people frequently. There are some people I haven't seen in a while. But I remember getting it more for the purpose of just having a, a music playing cell phone. And of course, other features are appealing. And one thing that, that is interesting to me is that these these phones do not become obsolete when new models are are produced. Uh, you know, Apple will continue to say with each new iPhone, it's it's the best model of the iPhone that we've ever given. But they say that every time and every year. It could be true, but it's only because you're making slight improvements. And you know, someone who's still using the original iPhone right now has a functional device that can connect to the internet. It might not be as fast, but it's very functional. Similarly, my iPhone 5 that I will likely trade in the next month or so for an iPhone 6 is a very functional device. And I find myself wondering if we're all just really spoiled to think that, you know, the minor adjustments to speed and battery life and color saturation on these screens are worth it because we're all, or at least those of us who continue to get iPhones are buying into it. But it's very interesting to me that that Apple can get away at this point with such slight adjustments and and pass it off as as the world's greatest thing because each model only has a few alterations from the previous. Yeah, I wanted to actually mention that because I was when you said that for the first time, I imagined a graph of, you know, the so on the x-axis you have all the different iPhones and then the y-axis you have, you know, how much more how many more things are available on this phone? And I feel like it's almost an exponential curve where it blows up at first and then it just becomes a lot, you know, less. There, every, you know, next iteration has just, you know, exponentially fewer additions, you know, the, the increase in speed, the increase in uh, how the graphics or how, you know, nice it looks or whatever, they're only slightly more than the next one. So then it becomes a game of advertising. How well can we advertise the same product to these same people and make them buy it? Which is kind of a weird thing is, you know, that's something that I don't really you know, talk about that often. You know, I guess, you know, iPhones and, and just how you know, technology, you know, well, you know, actually we can go on to um, the watch, the iWatch or what is it called, the smartwatch? Oh, it's, watch? it's actually called the Apple Watch because they didn't want to make it too easy for us. It's called the Apple Watch, the not Apple the watch. iWatch, Jesus. but I, I think we're all thinking that it should have been named the iWatch. Yeah, but. <laughs> isn't that fun? Okay, so that's already, that's a fascinating thing. What you just said, how Apple has essentially taken the letter I and made it a part of its brand. It literally took a letter from our alphabet, from the English alphabet, which, you know, is so old, thousands of years old, you know, branches from Roman Latin roots. And, you know, they're taking it. It, it, it becomes their intellectual property. You put any other word after I, it, does it, is it theirs now? Or is it, you know, a lowercase I that they own? Um, this is very tangential, but it's just <laughs> a fascinating thing. No, you're, you're doing fine. I, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, <laughs> I haven't even thought about it until now. To, to relate the two, uh, for listeners out there who might not know, um, a lot of what the I, nope, 
the Apple Watch does <laughs> is is through the iPhone. It's it's presumed that you'll have at least some model of iPhone that can connect it. You can get phone calls through the uh, Apple Watch, but they have to be connected to your phone. You can pass the you know them between the two, but I don't believe if you do not have an iPhone that there's a ton of functionality to the Apple Watch. It can send brief drawings if you want to use its touchscreen, but a lot of it just seems so superfluous. Uh, one very peculiar feature that I, I know Apple noted, because the Apple Watch also has health functionality in, in sort of recording fitness data, that you can send that to other people. If my heart rate is, you know, so many beats per minute, sending that to someone else as though they want to hear that or or get in on, on how my cardiovascular system is working, I just I don't see that as as functional, but at the same time, people have scoffed at Apple's ideas before, they then market and produce those products, and we eat it up. So in five years, we might see people sending, you know, blood pressure data to their friends for whatever reason. I just, it, it's so peculiar to me, some of the functions that the Apple Watch is going to have. And, you know, I, I, I think I've been relatively kind of on the bad cop side of this um, talk. You know, I did pay attention to the whole NSA thing, and I was worrying about um, information. I think it's a, it's a fascinating subject to go off on. But I think what's even what's something else that's positive about this kind of technology and, you know, having all this technology kind of uh, bottlenecked into one single company, which is then able to innovate, you know, en masse, like, you know, in a, in a huge way for so many people, is that you get people who understand or you get consumers who get this product and then say, wait a second, this information, or I can now accumulate this data, for example, blood pressure or heart rate or other things. And it allows, I think, people to innovate and say, well, what can I do with this data now that I have it? What can I create or what can I, you know, what existing structures of our society can I, you know, elaborate on or build upon using this technology? For example, what if doctors use this kind of technology to communicate Absolutely. with patients uh, quicker or not have, you know, you, now you don't have to go to the hospital anymore. You can just be at your house, record your own um, information, be more in tune Absolutely. with your yeah, own information. It. And, um, you know, it, it becomes this thing where, you know, then you, you're actually educating people uh, or you're educating the public in a way on, you know, being more aware and being more interested into little, you know, facets of your life. And I think in the long run, too, I think what Apple is helping bring to consciousness to the public is our data and you know how that is in a you know it's a tangible thing it, it's 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 hard to understand I'm not going to try to uh, explain it now but it is something that people value and people care for and I think you know especially with you know the leaks just the other day of those celebrities or you know this whole NSA scandal um, people are starting to realize the fragility of the existing infrastructure or the existing data infrastructure that we have and how easily even these big companies can be you know broken into similar to a bank in the wild west I've heard sometimes the internet being called the new wild west but mm -hmm. i might be uh, again tangentizing uh yeah i i'm glad that you mentioned sort of being the bad cop because i think we've we've both been critical and i think fairly so of sort of the iphone and frankly its culture because it does have a culture surrounding it protecting it if you will um and i think that it's fair to be critical but i will say um i'm not blind to the benefits it has and frankly we can discuss sort of the vulnerabilities it will expose, the amount of data that we're sharing and the things that we're doing. But I think with any positive invention, at least for the most part, there is always some 
potential evil behind it. You know, you could store all your money in one place, ergo a bank, and people would say, well, that's not safe because someone can steal that. But we have these facilities in our society to protect certain things, mm -hmm. to, to function uh, in a certain way. And if someone has, you know, malintent, they will find a way to take advantage of it. And I, I don't think to sort of counteract what I said previously, that is a reason to avoid certain progress. Um, because there are benefits to having, you know, your credit card on your phone. I think there are severe risks, but I also don't know that as a society, we will progress or advance as a unit, all of us, if we don't take certain risks. I think the key is very being very aware of, of what we're doing, knowing what it means or what risks you're taking by putting your credit card on your phone or other risks. But you make a good point with, with a doctor example. I think it'd be great if people could safely send information to their doctor. I would trust my doctor and the doctor's office to have a database of my information. They'd be incredibly helpful and electronically could send that to an emergency room where I'm, you know, being operated upon because of some accident. And it would be much more uh, effective. It would be quick. And I think that's a good use of that information. And so I think, yeah, there are definitely benefits uh, that I'd like both of us to touch upon. I think I would start by saying, I, I think being able to to text people uh, that aren't in your immediate area, to, to sort of make plans, to communicate short messages, maybe even lengthier ones, is a definite benefit of the iPhone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love, uh, I personally love taking notes on my iPhone. I would love to <laughs> carry a notebook and pen with me, but the truth is I forget. 90% of the time <laughs> to bring a little notebook and pen with me. And so I don't, I mean, sometimes I do, but um, when it comes down to it, the note function is pretty, it's pretty awesome. But also again, you know, the, the camera function, you know, one cool thing about it is that you can really just click a button and then swipe once and you have access to this camera which, you know, I have the iPhone 4, so this one's already three years old, going on to be, no, I guess going on to be three years old. But the camera's pretty awesome. The camera takes good, high-quality photographs. I mean, it's not completely high definition, and you don't get that deep a depth of field, but overall, you know, it, it does the job. Absolutely. One feature, which may sound a bit peculiar to some people, it's within the Contacts app uh, and being able to keep track of your contacts. I personally... I'm really fond of, of birthdays. I think they're important. I think they are an opportunity to sort of shower a particular person in appreciation, for lack of a better word, and affection, certainly. And I like having a device that can record the birthdays of the people I know. Obviously, I have their phone numbers and other you know pertinent contact information, but to me, it's really useful to have that all in one place because that specific day in a person's year or life is is meaningful to me and I, pocket I rolodex yeah i yeah. really really like it yeah you know it, it is cool i guess i i wanted to touch upon this one idea i guess about nostalgia of technology and and for example you know this isn't so much nostalgia as a, a resurgence although i think nostalgia plays a role in it but for example vinyl has been making a resurgence over the past i want to say 10 years um at least where people have been going back and buying vinyl and you know listening to their music on this medium and i guess I wonder, um, and I guess there's no real way of, uh, you know, exploring the subject without doing some research, if this instant access to all this information has allowed for people to say, hold on a second, I think this technology from X number of years ago, you know, has its merits and deserves to be brought back or like, you know, brought back into the picture. Yeah, I don't know. Vinyl is the one that makes that 
I think about, but I've seen like photographs of people of like a, a tape recorder and like I don't know a laser disc and like I don't know, a few other pieces of you know technology that's you know a floppy disk you know holding hands and say never forget mm-hmm. or something like that, which I think is kind of silly. But at the same time, I understand the nostalgia that comes with you know saying I was there when this technology was being used. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, certainly the iPhone I think has made some of those at least to some people appear obsolete. But to me, the interesting thing, or one very interesting thing about the iPhone and its iterations themselves are that they make one another obsolete. Uh, you know, we will reach a point, I have no doubt, where the iPhone 10 exists, and therefore all previous versions of the iPhone are not as useful to people. Certainly they share some functions, but it, presumably, will have the most functions of any iPhone. And, and just the the speed with which each new iPhone is produced now annually I will make a wager that someday it may be twice a year hopefully not more than that frankly I'd be fine if it came out every three years but it's weird that I think as a generation we're living through more and more specifically to the iPhone more and more advancements of this device than our forefathers ever did you know new models of things have historically come out, you know, four years or maybe 10 years apart because the advancements aren't so quick in coming. And it's just interesting to me to see how quickly the iPhone itself has sort of become its own product line, you know, that that cannibalizes itself and, and gets rid of its uh, its earlier things. But uh, if you're willing, I, I'd love to continue with the benefits of the phone uh, yeah, because we've yeah, given a lot yeah, of time sure. to criticisms. Are there other apps that you can think of or other functions that you love on your iPhone? I downloaded the iMachine application and I'm going to recommend that if, if you are listening to this podcast and you have an iPhone and you like to make little beats or you like to make big beats, or you just like to make beats, the iMachine application is pretty darn cool. It's a 16-pad beat pad, um, and you can, you know, put little a bass drum on one, a, a snare on another, a, a crash cymbal on a third, and, I don't know, another 13 other sounds, and make a little beat at, you know, whatever rhythm or whatever, you know, tempo you want it to be. It's pretty cool. Um, I love using that and making little uh, rhythms for myself. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, the iPhone is in and of itself, like we talked about earlier, it's a computer. Um, And I think as such, it's a great synthesizer of sound and it's a very useful device. Uh, I'm actually looking at my phone now. One of my favorite applications uh, that I use frequently and probably don't appreciate enough is the Maps app. I will criticize it. I think it has made us collectively much worse at remembering locations. I (laughs) think our our sense of direction is going out the window. I don't (laughs) think it's dead, but I think, I mean, you know, and you can talk about Google Maps as well being a part of this trend, but but people seem almost incapable of sort of directional navigation, also of exploration. You're not, you're never getting the scenic route when you when you enter into uh, points Very between true. which you want to uh, you know directions or a route, you never get to see the things that are out of the way. It's it's very interesting to me. Two quick uh, little things. I remember my art history teacher. Her name was Dr. Drake. Uh, awesome woman. She would you know she. I remember she asked somebody to read a map and they couldn't tell you know where they were and they didn't know how to essentially you know read the map and. Uh, give the information to her as she was driving and I was okay at it but you know I was not that good because you know I don't I don't ever use maps I I watched my dad use them when he was driving when I was younger but I never really you know of course I look at maps but uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I And then I, I think about my grandpa. We were leaving a Mets game one day, and uh, he was a truck driver his entire life. Like, his young life, he was a truck driver, and he would work, you know, insane hours. But his map of New York and the tri-state area through Pennsylvania and up north a little bit is so good that after a Mets game, even while we were waiting in traffic, my grandpa got home maybe 25 minutes earlier than we did because he just knew the, the side roads, and he knew exactly how to get from point A to point B with all the side roads you know in that much more efficient time that literally you have here a highway where everybody else is you know cramming on and this one guy knows a different way and it's because it's in his head and he knows it like through a lot of it's like you know a, a lot of experiences led to that information right yeah and I, I i think back to i'm gonna say ios 6 again for listeners who aren't uh, great experts at the phone. It, it's the late, you know, the iOS is is the operating system on the iPhone. We're currently upcoming uh, on iOS eight, which will be released in about a week, um, or depending on when you're getting this podcast, around September nineteenth. Uh, but I remember iOS six, I believe, released Apple's proprietary Maps app. They they got rid of Google Maps as sort of their their standby, and they made their own Maps app, which was heavily criticized. It had numerous errors across you know across the globe on this digital representation there were buildings that were you know awkwardly crammed in certain spaces they didn't fit they had warped edges but specifically with roads there were some you know just portions of the map that were completely wrong and led to i don't think too many but numerous accidents and it killed apple's stock and and apple's ratings as a company because they they didn't account for this, but I think as a, oh, as, I didn't even know that. as a people, it's uh, it's more troubling that people were so dependent and frankly still are yeah. on this application for direction that they'd follow it, you know, into the ocean, into a wall, and you know. It reminds me of an episode of The Office where Michael and Dwight are driving, and I think Michael is listening to the GPS, but Dwight is telling him directions and screaming directions at him, and the GPS tells him to turn right, and to turn right is to drive into a lake, and it clearly, you know, you clearly can't drive into this lake, and Dwight's yelling at Michael and saying, don't go in there, don't go in there, and Michael ends up, you know, crashing into the lake because he followed the GPS. So I think that's interesting. And I wonder if, if that's been the case with anybody. You know, it's clearly the wrong yeah. way, but they still listen to the GPS. Right. I'm trying to think as I look at my phone, other useful uh, applications that I that I frequent. I know you mentioned the note-taking app, which is definitely one for me. I will say, I don't think it's necessarily a criticism, but I, I've always passed over the Reminders app. I don't, I don't like really making reminders on my phone. I think a lot of what we talked about with maps, you know, and sort of people's now lack of experience with with the roads, with you know, the lay of the land, as it were, is problematic. Um, and I think similarly, the more you ask the phone to remember for you, the less agency you have in your own life. I talked about birthdays before. At some point, it'd be really great if I took it upon myself to remember everyone's birthday. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think about, you know, I, I have no idea about neurology and, like, brain plasticity, but I do think it might be the case for you and me that because we are kind of, we were born in this cusp of, you know, technology being so much a part of regular home life that we still had, it was just coming in as, as like, flex of our reality. Like, we still had radio, we still had television with cable, and, you know, we had all these, like, older pieces of technology that were slow being phased out. So we still had to memorize. I remember I had to memorize my best friend's phone numbers. I can't remember them now, but I would, you know, type them in. Ch -ch 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 -ch. 
on um, the phone in my uh, kitchen, which had a you know cord. The wireless phone came in when I was maybe like ten years old, and that was really cool because you didn't have to you know sit next to the phone or like you know stand next to the phone as you used it. But I am a little scared about the. I mean, again, I don't know anything uh, in detail about this, but how memory is being as somebody said a close friend of mine said uh, indexed indexing your memory and just putting all your thoughts and all your information all your reminders all your birthdays onto one piece of technology and not remembering any of it yourself what that does to the brain's chemistry I don't know if that reaches into like the whole spectrum of memory if that affects you know do does the brain like have a way of kind of like exercising itself like does it need to get stronger or are iPhones, you know, making our brains, or rather our memory, obese in this weird kind of way, if that analogy makes sense? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm certainly no neuroscientist myself, although from studies I've read and things that I've heard, the brain, at least overall, is in a lot of ways like a muscle. The more, you know, the more willpower you exercise, the stronger that section of the brain becomes. And I suspect wherever memory is located in the brain, I'm not remembering my lobes properly and my psychology professor in high school would scoff at me now, but yeah. <laughs> you know, parietal, frontal, it might be the temporal lobe, but I'm not certain. But wherever memories are located, I'm guessing that the less we're using that, that uh, segment of the brain, that region, you know, the weaker it's getting. So it probably is an issue and one that I think won't necessarily be addressed, but rather will be more and more relegated to the phone. We'll give it more ability to remember things. We'll give it better access to calling up those memories. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope that human memory is not something that dies out because I, I don't think a phone will ever capture the emotions that our memories capture, although I'm probably just giving Apple ammunition at this point um, for that idea. But I will say I think we're coming up on our hour mark, and I would ask if you have any closing remarks before we we uh, call it a wrap. Well, I just want to remind our listeners that this is not an advertisement for the iPhone. This this podcast is really just, again, it's it's a conversation. Every episode is a conversation between me and Kip. We don't have any uh, you know boards or notes, really. We're just speaking off the top of our heads, and this is just a conversation. And speaking on the topic of conversation, again, we invite you, as our listeners, to write in and you know go to our Facebook, go to our Twitter, account at stride and saunter and visit any other page that we might have our soundcloud page and email us at stride and saunter at gmail.com okay so stride and saunter gmail.com and at stride and saunter please write to us please give us any critiques if you heard something on the podcast that you'd like to give more details about for example the whole thing about neuroplasticity and how our minds are going to function and how new generations are quote-unquote indexing their memory onto our phones and you may Maybe have some more uh, data to back that up. Send it to us. I think that's all part of the conversation. Kip and I are going to try to gather all this information and along with our podcast, put in these comments and make kind of a package for each podcast so that each of these conversations that we have is a seed and that you as our listeners can help nourish that seed and make it into, you know, and help it flower and create it into a fuller and uh, more well-rounded thing. As Hector, you know, just eloquently put, this is a conversation among, not a conversation between mm-hmm. Hector and myself. He and I are are improvising a lot of this from thoughts that we have. Uh, the words are not pre-chosen. But as always, from thought to word and voice to ear, we thank you for listening. This is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Hector Marrero. Keep looking up. <laughs>